Hello, and welcome to this second podcast of Downton Gabby. We're here to discuss a pretty shocking episode that aired last night. I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. I'm Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. Well, guys, I have to say, coming down from the high of the Golden Globes, it was pretty tipsy, turned over to Downton Down Abbey, and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly had a tough time just, you know, going to bed after that. <laughs> it was kind of one of those things where you think you're about to just, like, do your Sunday night wrap-up and, you know, head off to bed in, in preparation for the week, and then I was just so upset. But I was upset for, like, many different reasons. One, of course, because I felt just terrible for the character, and watching rape scenes is always really upsetting no matter what. But then also because I didn't love the way the show handled it, especially the editing back up to Bates' reaction, or not reaction, but what's Bates doing right now while this is happening? It was just awkward for me. I thought it was interesting you know, if you're going to have any character be raped on the show, it's interesting that he picked a married one because I think that there is this idea. Well, first off, as a woman, you're always afraid you're going to be raped. Always. It's something that it never leaves your mind. But there's some type of safety you feel when you're, you know, in a relationship or married that you kind of have a little bit more security because you have this man that's looking out for you. And to show that, no, even though you're married, you're still vulnerable. I thought was a very interesting choice. I just, I just was very, well, I was very unhappy about this whole story point, frankly. I think it was weird to, to do, to go there, but the, the, but the, you know, I like when things go dark because it's a way of looking at how society handled certain things, you know, at yeah. that time, and, which is very different sometimes from how we handle things now. So fine. What I really, really didn't like and continues to make me furious is how this whole thing got framed in terms of Bates. Yes. Like it all came down to we can't tell Mr. Bates because he'll kill him for sure. And that's the biggest problem here. Like yeah. that's bearing the, his that's feelings crisis is not letting Bates know. I mean, I just I just thought, man, like this whole thing is. You know, Anna goes through this trauma and I don't know. It it just really, I, I understand that she doesn't want anyone to know. I, I get that. I get that. A woman of her time, and I, I was just watching an interview with Joanna Froggett who, who was talking about that and a woman losing her reputation was losing everything and there was a total blame the victim mentality and um, all of that. So let's get serious. There still is that. There's I mean, I, I don't even feel like this issue is framed within a time. I think this is a timeless issue. I think we're still dealing with victim blaming and reputation ruining. Uh -huh. Yes, I would say right. Mrs. Hughes's reaction felt more interesting to me thinking about the time period than than Anna's did, because, yeah, I think. Um, Anna's reaction could easily happen today, but Mrs. Hughes so quickly saying, okay, we'll never tell anyone. I'll go get you a dress. That to me felt very interesting from the time period, but I don't think that's where the show is going to go continue exploring. I think they're going to all of a sudden have Bates be suspicious. What happened? 
uh, and I'm just I don't care about his reaction to this. Not not in that way, not from that perspective. Right. No, I, I don't either. I don't think that's the important part of the story. And also, this is something Tom and Lorenzo were talking about. Anna was like weirdly hyper flirtatious with this guy for the whole episode. Like, I know that Anna's really friendly and she reaches out to people and she's nice to people, but I almost felt like they were setting up some weird her being flirtatious and Bates being mad at her for it. You know what this all says to me? A fucking man wrote this. She's fucking (laughs) flirting. She's flirting. So there's the whole, did she ask for it? There's the whole, you know, protecting the man's feelings. We're not even seeing this from a woman's perspective, from a victim's perspective at, at all. This is such a fucking dude wrote this, is what this all says to me. Thank you, Shannon. Yeah, I mean, I guess it. I I didn't. I wasn't bothered by Anna being quote unquote flirtatious as much the first time that I thought about it. But now that you're bringing that up, yeah, it is kind of, it's kind of uncharacteristic for her. She is usually the character who's sort of going like, "All right, that's enough now. Back to work." You know, she's nice and she supports everyone, but is she usually the one who's like, "Yeah, let's play a huge loud card game while we're in the middle of throwing a very important party for the people upstairs?" It was odd. Well, do you think right. she's been tainted by all that jazz music she's been listening <laughs> to with Rose? I mean, this is so provincial the way that this was shown, and I feel like the writers actually gave us this amazing opportunity to finally really care about Anna. And to finally see her as more than just a prop for other people's stories. Like, let's give her her own story, her own struggle. And instead, they're still making her a prop. It's all going to be about when does Bates find out? What is his reaction? Does he club him with his cane? I mean, that's what it's going to be instead of really giving this story to Anna and letting her own it. And the idea of exploring Bates as a character who needs to be... Uh, handled with kid gloves in certain situations or who might be set off in certain ways, that could have been really interesting, but in a completely different storyline that was actually about him rather than making, yeah, hijacking Anna's storyline. Exactly. This is this, this, interestingly, after the Golden Globes, I don't know if you guys know Soraya Shamali, she writes for mm-hmm. Huffington Post, and she did this brilliant piece on um, how someone was complaining that the Golden Globes had too much estrogen in it and upset about gravity being all about Sandra Bullock. And, you know, and and I, I'm not going to do justice to how great this piece is, but it's this thing about how, like, if it's not about the guys, then it's not worthy or you know, we don't want to talk too much about the women. It's really about the guys. And I feel like in this, this is, uh, this is yeah. this thing again, which is Anna gets raped. It's about Bates. Exactly. And I feel like another show that handled rape very well this season was Scandal with Melly's rape. And um, she was completely, you know, obviously not in control because she was raped, but she was in control of that narrative. And I really felt like we were from her perspective and felt felt everything that she felt about it, but also understood why she covered it up, you know, whereas this is not Anna's narrative. It's going to be Bates's. The thing that was interesting in Tom and Lorenzo's recap was that they thought that it was a very interesting dark turn to have uh, Anna assume that Bates was going to murder somebody. Right. 
mean, she's been this loving, trusting, supportive force in his life through his imprisonment and his trial. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, yeah, he would kill him. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what do you really think of your husband? Oh, well, I mean, as a person who has always been in the camp that believes that Bates did kill his wife, I mean, I really think he did it. I know even if the show tells me he didn't, I still think he did. That character, really? I'm shocked that, that you think that. I never thought you thought Bates killed. This is big no. to me. You thought Bates killed his wife? Wow. I think he was guilty. I do. Huh. I don't believe the the evidence of the pie or whatever that exonerated him. <laughs> the, the the pastry dough on the, under her nails or something. I don't believe it. I think he's a murderer, and uh, I think Anna's right. Like he will kill somebody again. That's how he. You know, he's just the kind of guy who solves his problems in the most convenient way. Right. It's very interesting. You know, the other um, the other recap um, that I'm reading is Sadie Doyle's in, in these times. And Sadie's uh, a friend and I think just a really brilliant writer. And I was just uh, looking at it quickly. And, and she makes that same point that, like, why is this all about Bates? So this is this is a big thing with her, too. And she's also kind of pissed off that this is supposed to be this, you know, uh, escapist melodrama. And we have to deal with this. So she was, <laughs> she was just mad at the whole the whole storyline but but i think the important thing is that, that she also was really unhappy that this was not anna's story but bait's story yeah. i did have that same thought like why do we have to deal with this now not that it isn't not that rape and sexual assault isn't as shannon said always on women's minds or a, a universal topic but you know i i count myself as lucky for never having experienced that you know yet <laughs> and I did have this thought in my mind that was like this must have been there must be many many women who watched this and unexpectedly were completely triggered and right oh god had totally. to think about something that they don't usually think about you know this is a far cry from dealing with Mrs. Patmore's mixer, you know, this is just, right. it's hard to believe that these storylines are in the same world and it must've just felt very harsh and hard to deal with for certain viewers. It's a beautiful thing to say, Brandy. I, I like that you thought that and you know, yeah, people watch this show as an escape and to have such a painful memory triggered out of the blue. Um, weirdly, I was talking about the season of uh, Downton Abbey with my boss last week, and I, you know, Julian Fellow said he's not going to kill anybody off. So we were, you know, talking about what would what would happen in the season, and she had said, "Well, what if someone gets raped?" And I was like, "They would never do that. They would never." And you know, here's the second episode, and it happens. Um, and I thought that was a strange choice to, you know, but it's like there's no war. He has made a decision to not kill anyone else. And so I guess he was like, we need to have some trauma, but I think it's just a little too much trauma for this. Oh, show. and there have been some very interesting pieces written by both male and female writers about how many male writers default to rape as a very shocking and upsetting thing that they can do. Like it's a, like it's a tool in their box of how to invoke a certain reaction from the viewer. And I, I think it is used uh, used too much and in weird situations a lot by male writers. Because they don't understand. Shannon, I, it pains me to say this, Shannon, but 
you did wish something bad to happen to Bates and Anna last I week. didn't mean this. This is and this is extreme. I, I blame you. I I Oh I my god. You. <laughs> Don't even do this. No, I'm kidding. The show are, like aired in the UK like what three months ago. So <laughs> it's not your fault. Oh Jesus. my god. Like, I'm not that powerful, Therese. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, maybe she'd, like, kiss a guy at a dance or something. <laughs> she is going to these dances with roses, yeah. Um, speaking of Tom and Edna, yeah, I think this the very fact that last scene um, with Edna sneaking into Tom's room after having given him the whiskey when he was depressed and, you know, he's just sloshed, I was like, where is this going now? I mean, that's more evidence that perhaps Julian Fellows doesn't understand the actual gravity of sexual assault. It's right. not a plot twist. <laughs> Rape is not a plot twist, Julian. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. And this is, could have very grave consequences for Tom because, you know, she's not using a sheepskin condom or anything, you know, she's probably trying to get knocked up to trap him into a marriage. And mm -hmm. You know, if the whole his whole lament, the whole episode is like, I don't fit in with the family. Well, then if he knocks up this, the maid, then he really doesn't, you know. And so she's really jeopardizing his whole life path that he's trying to carve right now. Yeah. And, and women purposefully trying to trap a man into a pregnancy might be my least favorite storyline of all. Ugh, hate it. But you know what? I, I think that like think of think of the genders were reversed in that. Think if there was a male. um jimmy let's say mm -hmm. who gets some sad female guest drunk and then sneaks into her room it's no. gross and it's uh criminal you know yeah did he think it was somewhat sexy because it was a a woman doing it to a man i mean that's not it's still rape yeah i don't know the whole thing's troubling to me and and I mean, I, this is why I think that a show like Downton Abbey really should not be dabbling in this stuff. It's it's a little bit beyond their um, uh, what beyond, beyond their scope. I mean, it's yeah, it's beyond their range. To you know do, what? To and do I'm justice. and I'm pissed because they ruined a fucking fancy party episode. I can't even be like enjoying the fancy party because I gotta talk about the rapes. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That really fuck you, Julian. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna change our fuck you baits um segment from the first from our first podcast to fuck you, Julian. Yeah, I think that would be an excellent meme. Um, yeah, like they had this awesome house party with all this like great romantic intrigue and card games and beautiful sparkly headbands. And uh, yeah, I was going to give this episode a 10 on the sparkly headband scale, but all I can fucking do is talk about rape. Fuck you, Julian. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Julian. Let's talk about this house party, shall we? Yes. I thought all of the little mini storylines in the house party were pretty delightful, actually. Like the rest of this episode outside of the Anna storyline, I thought was great fun. Yeah, it was fantastic. The, the glamorous pirate, I say two thumbs up. Yummy. Yummy. I don't know who he adorable. is. He's completely adorable. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And the whole card game thing. Okay, so do you guys think that um think that he's kind of um Edith's boyfriend is a little creepy? Because I think he's kind of cool. 
he's a little badass now to me. I know, but <laughs> I also, it also is like starting to like, I'm getting like an unsettled feeling in my stomach about him. Like he's, he's a little too shady. I feel like I'm worried. I'm just worried. I've got the Edith worry, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, I don't believe that things are going to end up well for Edith. I don't believe that that's in the cards for this show, no matter what. But I liked him in this storyline. I do sometimes think it's a little much when the two of them are talking and he's like complimenting her and she's like, I just don't understand why you would ever want to hold me in your arms, Michael. I mean, <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good impression. That I could do with less of that. But when he's actually, this is, I feel like, the first moment when he got his own little time to stand alone. And I thought it was great to give him a little more personality outside of his love for Edith. That's very true. Yeah, he's a gangster. (laughs) His misspent youth. I liked it. (laughs) And as a tiny little detail, too, I forget the name of this other character who was the Cod Sharp. But I liked his side note when they were talking about Robin Hood giving from the ridge, stealing, blah, 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 um, that he was a poor guy at the party who had only sort of finagled his way in there because he happened to still have a membership to a club. And one of the reasons why he does this is because he doesn't have any money. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was like a tiny little detail that uh, fit very well into the larger world of Downton Abbey where these characters are kind of worrying about their long-term livelihoods. And that's probably the guy that I would have made out with by the end of the night. <laughs> the card sharp? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> Not the guy who's sitting on Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> he was good, too. I don't know. No, that was, I love that little line about, about taking from the poor. That's a, like sort of a throwaway line, but it said a lot, really. Those are the details that I love on this show. Um, and right. like those little moments where they really get into the sort of class thing, that's what keeps me coming back for more, even when I'm infuriated about larger storylines. My favorite line from the episode was a bit of a throwaway from Mary, where she's talking to Lord Gillingham about going to um, going riding. And Mary says, I haven't been in the saddle in ages. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Teresa, you asked an interesting question in our notes here, which is, why do we think that men are falling all over Mary when she's kind of a, what did you call her, a goldfish? Goldfish. <laughs> well, she's hot. Yeah. I know. And and this might be giving too much credit to uh, old Julian, but the reason <laughs> that it works for me is the fact that I'm thinking of it from the perspective of, you know, there's been several times that characters have mentioned that this generation of men is quite thinned out from the war. Mm. And so I'm just thinking that someone as absolutely adorable and with a title as Lord Gillingham might have people throwing themselves at him all the time. And mm-hmm. to have someone who's not doing that might be so refreshing that it's intoxicating. Interesting. She's got that plain hard to get thing down. And men love that. I guess so. I mean, she is gorgeous. I'll, I'll give you that. And rich. And rich. She's gorgeous and rich. Yes. And she's smart and clever. I mean, no, she's not warm, but she has many other qualities. I mean, I would like to be friends with Mary. And I don't think a lot of women were warm back then. I mean, Rose is 
kind of the minority in the show, right? She's so warm and bubbly, but you know, all the other women are pretty cold. Yeah. Rose is so young, I think. Life hasn't beaten it out of her yet. <laughs> it's very important to note that Mary still has an intact estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They okay. keep mentioning it. Like, it's so nice to see your estate intact. Like, even if you aren't since you were married before. <laughs> you saw what I was doing there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. No, but that guy is so cute. I really hope we see more of him. Well, according to my Entertainment Weekly, there's going to be another suitor that arrives. And I'm, yeah, I'm ready. So I love Mary dating. I don't miss Matthew. I'm ready for everybody to stop crying over him, but bring on the suitors. I love it. It's fun. I think. I think this episode gave a nice little bit of, not closure, but I, I don't think we're going to hear so much about grief over Matthew anymore. Like, the the Isabel storyline, the fact that she went to the party, the fact that she had those conversations with the Dowager, I felt like that was a little bit of putting a, a pin in that for a little while. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And didn't you love seeing Mary laugh? Yes. That was great. Well, see, look, you're falling in love with her right now. You answered your own question. I'm, I know. I just lo- I loved that little moment of her having this genuine laughter. It was just such a relief after, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. All that moping. So when she laughs, I can see why people love her. It's true. So, yeah. Therese, I know you wanted to talk about this real-life opera singer who sang at the party. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if you guys know, but I am actually a big opera geek. Um, Didn't know. Yes, it's true. And and um, so and my mom is a is a big opera geek, too. And we were talking about this. And Dame Nellie Melba, who was the their guest, was a huge deal, like a huge star, massive. I don't know what the equivalent would be like if you had. Well, I don't think I don't know if opera is that cool, but like having Renee Fleming or. I don't know who, you know, like just a huge Placido Domingo or something like that. <laughs> so anyway, um, she she was huge. And, and she's played by Kiri Tekanawa, who is also, a you know, now older, but also a huge opera star. So it was really nice to see Kiri Tekanawa um, playing her on the show. And it was also really nice to hear her sing. The last thing she sings while Anna is being attacked is. Um, one of Mimi's arias from La Boheme, which happens to be my favorite aria from La Boheme, but that's what she's singing when when Anna's being raped downstairs. I know. It's really too bad. I mean, it did make for a dramatic moment, but I like it when they do these little bits of real historical things, and it's too bad that that character's uh, appearance was sort of tarnished. You know what? Fuck you, Julian, for ruining this party, Zong would say. <laughs> We got some nice moments with the Dowager, who, again, is being uncharacteristically nice. She's been, like, a little too nice this season, guys. I know, and I really hope that it's not because she's going to die. I know he said we're not going to kill anyone off, but you can't really believe a showrunner when they say these things about their show. And if he's putting in all of these touching Dowager moments where she's trying to sort of make sure her family is okay so that she can keel over... I'm going to be really mad about it. 
Right. Like how Matthew made that terrible saccharine speech in the hospital and then died. Yes. Although I would like to read the letter they would find from the Dowager in a book later on. (laughs) I secretly hated all of you. The money's going to a charity. Fuck you. I'm out. I want the money to go to uh, preserving Mr. Mosley Ro- Mosley's roses throughout the 20th century. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's bring that flower show back. I loved it. Oh yeah. Well, she was kind of sentimental there too. She, even though she had won, she, she, uh, she you know, said Mr. Mosley's flowers had won. So that was, oh yeah. yeah. I guess she <laughs> she does have a soft spot for certain people. Do you yeah, think she's sure. in love with Mr. Mosley? Do you think that they had a role in the flower, the rose bed? I mean, something's going on there. Just she's saying. actually she's actually Mosley's mom. That would be amazing. Much better twist, stupid Julian, than the fucking rape storyline. Mosley is the real heir to Downton. With oh my god, that would be amazing. That would I mean, be the best turn of events ever. He hits rock bottom. He's a delivery boy. <laughs> He's digging a ditch. <laughs> and a surprise letter from the grave. You're it all goes to Mosley, Lord Grantham's older brother. <laughs> I'm literally dying right now. I'm dying. Oh my god. Could you imagine them all having to defer to Mosley? <laughs> I can just picture him. He's got like a tray in his hand. He's looking around like, I don't understand. <laughs> you mean I don't have to wear these gloves anymore? The indignity of the gloves. Oh, the gloves, the gloves. Oh, poor Mosley, the final indignity. But he could really start that book club finally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Mosley. Like, just everything going on downstairs was hilarious. Like, Mrs. Patmore blowing several gaskets over, like, everything. And then Alfred making the sauce. Oh, my God. I mean, that was crazy. And what else was going on down there? Um, The the jar breaking. Oh, yeah. Carson was having himself a fit about the idea of a singer dining with the Lord and Lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What will they talk about? Oh, it almost made me care about what was going on in the kitchen. Almost. Almost. Except for, like, when when they first showed that scene of them trying to open a jar, I was like, what am I watching? All of that just so that Jimmy can twist his wrist and Mosley can have to be a footman? I mean, they didn't need that. They could have just said, we need an extra footman for the big party. I didn't need to watch all of that. I never need to watch Ivy. The actress... The actress who plays Ivy must have something on Julian Fellows or something. Because I don't know how she's getting so much storyline that's completely useless. Right. And that was also like the third creepy moment of this uh, show with the sexual weirdness was uh, Ivy says, oh, I really enjoyed going to the play last week, even though I got drunk. And Jimmy says like, oh, well, do you think you owe me something? I don't remember what he exactly said. It was like, a, does a good turn deserve a good turn or something like that? And I was like, are you insinuating that she owes you sex because you took her to a play? Jimmy. Oh, just Jimmy's such a creep. I mean, always alluding to whatever sexual favors he did for his former boss. And then right. you know, Ivy thinking he's like a nice guy when he's a total creep. 
obviously. I'm still offended that he, he, you know, brushed Thomas's advances off. I thought they would have just been such a great couple. I'm more interested in him getting together with Thomas than Ivy. Who gives a fuck about Ivy? A Thomas and Jimmy liaison would have been fabulous. Yeah. Let's see some hot sex down in the hallway or something underneath the stairs. Yeah, that still would be great. Yeah. Gloves on, gloves off. I don't care. <laughs> Ripping gloves <laughs> off with teeth. It's all good. Ooh. No, I mean, I, I've complained loudly about this before, but the show's inability to come up with a storyline for Thomas is absolutely ridiculous. I know. Just standing around going, don't you know that I'm the underbutler? Like, why did you bother getting him into a position where he was going to potentially have some power to do something and then literally no one cares downstairs right. and all he's doing is standing around. It's a, it's yeah. a damn shame. The actor's great. The character has so much potential and there's nothing happening except for Carson glaring at him once in a while. Right. But great. We get to have a new bait storyline. Yay. I know. Which by the way, he was being an asshole before everything went down. Like, yeah, he was. Scolding her for playing Ugh. cards. Thanks, Ugh. Dad. Shut the fuck up. Just fuck everything except you know, for the sparkly headbands. Yeah. Just <laughs> screw Julian Fellows, screw Bates. Let's just all go to a jazz club with our sparkly headbands and dance and get drunk with Rose because that's where the party's at, right there. I'm so ready for like some Rose adventure after this. Like everybody's like, I'm worried about Edith. Mary's still grieving. People are getting assaulted. Can we just go to a jazz club and have some fun? Seriously. Guys, I like the number of illegitimate babies is just multiplying in my head. Like now <gasps> we have to worry about Anna's potential rape baby. Edna's oh, potential rape baby. Edith's potential illegitimate baby. Rose, I still believe she's savvy with the birth control and she will never get pregnant until she wants to, but always the possibility rose is the party yeah rose is the party you know people really have been dissing rose i just uh i love her i love her well the crawley sisters have always been a tad stuffy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's time to let loose mm -hmm. even edith is letting loose but it's still very proper <laughs> It's in, her, yeah. it's in her own Edith way. Although the previews for next week, she's ready to give it up. What did we say about PNV? It's going to happen. I mean, write her up her V card, Therese. She's ready to give it out. She's ready. Our little <laughs> Edith is growing up. I know. I hope it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's never great the first time. But. So there's like, I hope it gets to great quickly. <laughs> That's true. It's never great the first time. But can you imagine? Just, I mean, there's no way that Cora has actually had any sort of sex talk with her, right? Like that would never happen. But just imagine if it did. Oh, <laughs> but she was about to get married, so she was. Think, That's true. Cora, yeah, nobody thought he could get it up. He was so old. No, no, I'm sure that Cora had a sex talk with her. <laughs> they didn't have the Viagra. Yeah, you know what Cora did? She would just go, now, Edith, you know where babies come from. Cora face. <laughs> I'm imitating that, but you can't see it. 
Shakora's gotta have something to share. She and Lord Grantham sleep in the same room. They bone down regularly. Mm-hmm. All the time. That's how he gets her to not ask questions. Right. <laughs> Don't you remember things. that amazing scene where Cora and Mary and um, Sybil mm-hmm. are all there with Edith yeah. and they're all giggling about sex? Right. That was good. It was great. And they're all giggling. And I think that was for Edith's benefit. Yeah. So Edith is, yeah, the only virgin left. Even Rose isn't a virgin. So we don't think so anyway. Well, I mean, I hope Edith does get to enjoy herself um, without too many consequences, but that would not be Julian Fellow's way. So I am worried about that. Well, I don't want her to just be a martyr. Give her a damn good storyline already. You know, Edith is good at bouncing back. You know, she's had a lot of adversity and heartache and bullshit. And she just comes back every single time. She's like, no, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. And that's why we love her. That's true. That's why we love her. You know what, Grace? You're not alone anymore. See, we all love Edith now. Glad. You won us Edith. She's also the best dressed of all those ladies. God, yeah. 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 She has the best couturier in Yorkshire. Mary's looking too much like her mother these days. Mary's still wearing her power color, though. Little burgundy variation. Mm -hmm. I saw that. Noted. Noted. (laughs) Um, Well, great. Well, I'm not sure where it's... You know, I think we're going to have a very Edith-focused next episode of things are heating up. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I hope it's not as dark as this last episode. I could use a light episode. Agreed. I could too. What was what was in the previews? All I, I remember I again, quite tipsy from the Golden Globes. Um, just things were heating up with her and her man. Okay. Seems like none of us remember his name. Michael. Michael. Michael Gregson. Michael Gregson. None of us have said his name the whole podcast. And I was like, the I'm not alone. But I can't remember his name. Michael Gregson. Got it. Well, do you yes. guys have any predictions? Hopes? Oh, geez. Fears. Uh, I predict we're going to see entirely too much of Bates looking suspicious next week. Right. Yeah. Um, I do hope that that storyline leads to some more interesting Mrs. Hughes moments because, you know, she's one of our faves here on this podcast. And uh, it'll be interesting. It, it would be nice to explore the storyline from a historical perspective. And I think she's kind of the way to do it. But we'll see if that right. actually happens. That would require some nuance. So, yeah. What about you, Therese? All I can really think about is stuff I don't want to happen. At That's fine, too. Yeah. Well, like you guys said, I'm not sure where we're going. I guess, I, I guess I'm hoping that Mary will, um, Mary will get more savvy about the estate and yeah. take more of a role. I want to see that storyline continue where she's more involved in what's going on uh, at Downton. That, that right. would be my, my most hoped for development. Uh-huh. Definitely. And I really hope Edna gets fired soon. Ugh. I can't take a full season of that. I just can't. No, she's the worst. it's bad. All right. All right. Well, we invite you all to join in the conversation by um, tweeting at us at Downton Gabby. Um, You can also talk to us on Facebook at Downton Gabby or on Tumblr at 
you guessed it, Downton Gabby. We will see you all next week.